Hello, and welcome to the History in Today podcast. This week, Katie and I talked with Stephanie Ultry about her experiences as an immigrant to the U.S. from Ghana, disparities in the American education system, and the importance of moving forward with change and not backward. Now, without further ado, let's get to our conversation. So uh, today we're talking about, uh, we're kind of, we're going to start with, uh, Stephanie, your story and kind of how, you know, you've come to this point in your life and introducing you. And then we're going to talk about some historical events that we think are relevant and that you think are relevant. Uh, we're going to try to weave that all together. So why don't you introduce yourself and talk about uh, what you want to talk about? Okay. Um, I'm Stephanie Autry, and um, I moved here in 2017. But before that, I was coming to the U.S. Um, since 2013 to come visit my mom. I used to live with my dad in Ghana. And um, ever since then, uh, my dad decided my sister and I and my brother moved to the U.S. for school. And, um, and that's the main reason why we're here, just for education, for a better education. <laughs> and yeah, like when I moved here, it's 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 different. Obviously, it's very different. A whole different culture and um, like food, different people and neighbors and everything. It was kind of difficult for me in my first like two years going to high school over here because um, first of all, I had never been to a public school before. Most of the schools in Ghana are like private, so I had to like kind of adjust to like the whole public like kind of like way of going to school. And also, <laughs> anytime I spoke, people always like went like, "Oh, you have an accent." I'm like, "Yeah, I have an accent." And people were sometimes surprised I could speak English because yeah, they didn't know like people in Ghana could speak English. But actually my first, like I, I would say like the first language I started speaking was English. I didn't know how to speak my local like language, which is Cree, until I was taught in school. So yeah. And then since then I, with the accent thing, it held me back for a little, but then I kind of like overcame it and just became more confident in myself. And then ever since then I've been able to do like all sorts of stuff that I've been wanting to do before those times. But then, yeah, basically, but then now I, I enjoy it here. It's, it's really nice. It's fun. Also, um, I, the, what's it called? The standard of living is also very good as compared to Ghana. And yeah, I'll say the U.S. is great. Glad to hear that. Glad to hear that you like it. So, uh, you mentioned that the, the schools, uh, are, it's kind of a different scenario where it's the, the public versus the private schools. Uh, mm -hmm. how do you, like, what are, what are the differences for a, a public school here versus a private school in Ghana? Okay. So one major difference is, um, so you said the public school and private schools, right? Yeah. Cause you talked about, you said that the experience was different. Yes. Um, so the private schools in Ghana, um, we wear uniforms, even with the public schools in Ghana too, we also wear uniforms. So I wasn't used to like having to wear my, like my casual clothing to school every day because I knew I had to wear uniforms in Ghana. And also the length of like classes were longer. No, like, no, not the classes, like school in general was longer because I used to go to school <laughs> in Ghana. I like either 6 a.m. or 
some people used to be there at 5 30 a.m but no nah, i never did none of that <laughs> i couldn't wait i'm not a morning person but then i'll be at school i'll be at school from 6 30 a.m to um the latest was let me say 7 p.m that's how long like it was and then we're here like it wasn't that long because it was just from 2 2 p.m like it was just to 2 p.m and also in ghana we kind of have like um what's it called um corporal punishments mm-hmm. um that's one thing i don't miss <laughs> in ghana but then yeah the whipping and <laughs> all of that but like not doing your homework and your assignments you get whipped and like, you just get some sort of punishment but then for here like the punishment is less i don't know painful or they don't inflict any pain on like the kids skin you probably just get detention or i don't know get suspended or expelled but then yeah that's like one of the differences and also with the classes um you know how in the us we i don't know in the high schools you move from like you move from the class one class to the other class Mm-hmm. But then in Ghana, you're in like all the students are in one class, and then the teacher moves to you. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So I feel with that one, it kind of we get to um, create very like long lasting relationships because over here, you get to see someone this year, and then next year you don't get to see them because yeah, you don't have the same class as them as them. But then in Ghana, the whole of class of 2021 is just, is in one class. Like, we are all in one class. And then, like, the history teacher comes, he teaches history, he leaves. And then the English teacher comes to the class, he teaches English, he leaves. And then that's how it is. But then we're here, you just have to move to the teacher's class. So that was another difference. And then, yeah, I would say, yeah, that's, that, those are, like, the major differences I've seen so far. So you mentioned that the the school day um, in Ghana is substantially longer, whereas you would end um, at 7 p.m. there, whereas here you end on average at 2 p.m. How did you, what or what did you cover in the extra hours of that day, if that makes sense? Like how many subjects would you say you went through and how is it like structurally different in terms of the way you actually learned? Oh, okay. Um, so the subjects were like, I think eight, yeah, I would say eight because we had, um, yeah, we basically had every subject every day. Yeah. So we had like all the subjects every day. I think the reason why it was long was because in Ghana, we didn't really have, um, you know how we have the bell system over here where like when the bell rings, the kid, like you just have to go to your other class mm-hmm. and the teacher has to like stop teaching. But then in Ghana, since the teacher is in your class and you don't have to move, sometimes the bell could ring or their time could be over. Like they 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 probably taught for two hours and their time is over, but then they're still teaching, <laughs> and you can't do anything. <laughs> you can't do anything about it. And so I think that's how it was very long, because especially the math teachers, they have this stereotype about them. They they used to teach very long hours. They would come to the class teach for two hours their time is over like you're supposed to teach from like 8 30 a.m to like let's say 9 45 and then it's like 10 45 and he's still teaching so and no you can't do anything because he is in the class so he decides when he wants to leave and then when he leaves and the other teacher comes and in ghana too we have we don't have we don't the reason why it's also long is because we have like break and lunch okay so the break is for like having your snack 
and then the lunches like the actual like food like you eating pasta um pizza i don't know but then the break is like you eating like something like i don't know um some juice and some crackers and all of that and then those breaks were also very long they used to take like three hours because it's for each each level we had um my school was a very big private school so we had the junior level the junior level i would call um i think um it would be the i'll say middle school and then we had the primary and the primary was like between was elementary yes so we had both the elementary and the primary in just one big building like the school was big like you could walk long like it was very big but then yeah so each during break times we'd have break for like the elementary kids and then break time for the um junior high kids i was in junior high and then that's how it was and then after the breaks we had lunch lunch from usually i was a senior i was like a kind of like senior like upper classman so we had lunch from 12 to 2 p.m because that's how long the lunch time was but then yeah i think that's why it was very long and then as for me the kids used to go leave the school around 4 p.m but i was like an upper classman so for us we had a after school closed school closed at like 4 p.m like the whole school closed but then we had to stay over to study for like the bec and the bec is um kind of like our sat to get into college so yeah we used to they, they would make us go home go change go freshen up like after six o'clock and then come back at no after five and then come back at six and then continue and prep for the bec that's why it was very long So yeah, that, that makes sense. So I I wanted to ask because uh, you mentioned that uh, you mentioned that when you came to uh, America, uh, students uh, might have mentioned that you had an accent or mentioned you know and made might have made comments that they didn't think you could speak English or something. Were those the only kind of the only adversary yeah, the only forms of adversity you faced when you came or were there other like issues that you had to face hmm, i would say the other issues were i think the type of food and also yeah just the accent and then the types of food and how and also yeah how english is taught in the the united states hmm. that was like one major difference like it was how is it how's the really, difference so in ghana we we learn english as like grammar not like i don't, I don't know like you know how here it's just like you you guys aren't learning the grammar you guys are you already know how to speak english so mm -hmm. you're just using that english to read um, passages and answer them or write an essay but then in ghana we, we focus mainly on the grammar aspect so it was divided into like four sections it was divided into english grammar english literature english um comprehension and then english composition hmm. and the comprehension had to do with like the reading passages in, in ghana and then the grammar had to do with you knowing the past tense the present tense the past participle and all those stuff and then the literature had to do with re reading like 
fast ones and um like those type of stuff and then the composition they start to do with the essays but then they weren't like together like it wasn't kind of like here where i just came like my freshman year i had to read like a whole book like we don't really do that type of thing like you don't read a whole book like we're just like focusing on the grammar so i was just learning how to make my english better so when i came here i didn't have to like learn how to make i wasn't given the opportunity to continue to do that i just had to go straight into it would you would you say that your your teachers were understanding of the fact that that wasn't the way you had previously like approached english or um like how did how did that look i'm just curious to see if they were accommodating to the fact that that was just a, an entirely different approach to the subject um i don't think they really took that into factor because uh, they probably just took it as oh she came here so she should probably be able to handle like like the work and i was able to though i was able to um even my that's why they were surprised especially my english nine teacher she was surprised because she said um she said my english was like very good but then she was just surprised i could speak english like i could even write <laughs> i was like oh no because uh when i was in ghana i was actually i started speaking english first before i started speaking any type of other language like my local language which is she and then so I, yeah they didn't really try to i don't know try to make any special adjustments for me yeah that's really interesting to think about how like other countries when they teach english focus on grammar because i think that like the from the english teachers that i've talked to that say you know that grammar is kind of disappearing from the american curriculum and like I think it really it's really important to learn grammar and mm -hmm. i think you know it's a lot of us kind of take it for granted that the kids who are you know born here and learn english as the only language that they learn are are exposed to a lot of vocabulary a lot of basic grammar structures which because the school takes that for granted and it doesn't teach it past the you know the very very basic level of you know this is how comma works uh yes <laughs> but because they don't really go past that level here i feel like people are missing out and then plus people that you know don't start in the system uh, uh either have more of an understanding of grammar because i think a lot of other countries have a better handle on teaching grammar than here mm -hmm. or they kind of can get lost because they don't have the grammar or the vocabulary something I'm, I'm not saying you do but i'm saying that mm -hmm. the system seems to be very like unbalanced yes right yeah a positive a positive side about that was um because of the fact that i had to learn grammar it, it kind of made it easier i guess for me with the essay parts the composition parts like me trying to put up words and combine sentences to just make a whole paragraph like it really it really helped yeah that's why i asked because i was like wow like english is such a i mean it appears to be such a complicated language because there are so many grammar rules and we have so many like weird rules that just don't really connect to other other languages for the most part and mm -hmm. i think that 
that part of the reason why I was curious was it was like, I, I just don't know that perspective of what it's like to, to come into the school system, like not like, as Sam said, like being kind of stuck in the middle of it and not, not having that context. Um, very, very interesting, but I'm glad that you navigated it. Um, well, and that's because you had that knowledge of grammar, and I'm pretty sure your knowledge of grammar is probably better than the majority of people in your school, because, like Sam said, we don't really go over it that much. So yeah, I think I think the language departments in in America, where they do you know Spanish and French, and they teach other languages, they kind of lean on that to teach the grammar. But then if you don't, you know, they, a lot of kids who don't really continue with that or don't really go far into trying to learn a second language because being bilingual in America isn't really as practiced as it should be. Uh, because of that, I feel like grammar is lost. So one, uh, one topic that we definitely wanted to get into when talking about the history is uh, <clears throat> Brown versus Board of Education, which as most people know, is a Supreme Court case from 1954 that overturned Plessy versus Ferguson from 1896 and declared that the doctrine of separate but equal was uh, unconstitutional and racist and therefore shouldn't be part of the American overarching experience. And integration came after that slowly, but it came after that. Obviously, you know, after this case, it wasn't like, you know, every school was integrated the day after. Uh, we'll talk about that after. But uh, the scary part and the thing that's making this relevant again and making this, this court case back in the news cycle is that Donald Trump, uh, on his list of judges that could have been appointed, obviously Amy Coney Barrett was the, uh, the winner of the sweepstakes, per se, um, but on this list there are multiple judges who have, de de eh, who have declined to give an answer on whether or not they support even this, you know, landmark Brown versus Brown versus Board of Education case. So no one has spoken out against it because no one would speak out against it. It's universally agreed that it is, you know, needed. But the fact that there are people who have been asked, uh, and I can get their names and kind of edit them in later, but the people that have been, there are multiple people that have been asked about whether they support Brown versus Board of Education and that declined to give an answer uh, is alarming. So, what do you guys think about this? So, I, I've done a little reading into it, and I, I think that it's just ridiculous that we were, we're in the year 2020. This decision was made so long ago. Well, not, not really historically speaking that long ago. It was only the 1950s. Um, it's about 70 years ago, um, but I, I think it's just, it's, it's hard to wrap my mind around because this case was such a landmark for American history for obvious reasons, right? Brown v. Board was the foundation of the, of decisions and the, you know, the mechanisms within American society. It set the precedent for for what American society would become, which arguably was a step in the right direction. Um, and I think that it also kind of helped set the, you know, set this, um, this tone for the civil rights movement. And so this case is 
undeniably one of the most important in the United States history. But what we're seeing now is, is this sudden, I don't, I don't know the correct word for it, but this sudden, like, not deviation, but the fact that it's being talked about again as though it's not a given. I don't know if that, that explanation makes sense, um, but it, it, I just can't wrap my mind around it because it's, su it's such an important case and it's a no-brainer and I don't understand why it's even on people's agenda right now. Like, why are, why are we touching it? It's, it's perfect the way it is. Why are we discussing whether or not we should support it? It's not a debate. Um, that's, that's all I have to say. Stephanie? Yeah, hello. And yeah, I agree with um, Catherine um, because I, come to think of it, I don't know why it had to be argued whether to have like separate um, institutions for different people of color. Like we are all human beings and um, they claiming it was separate by equal. It wasn't really, I don't know. It, it wasn't really kind of like convincing. I think that's why initially they also wanted to, they brought it to the court, but then when it was brought to the court and how long it took for it to be decided unconstitutional was like, that's like the problem. Like that's the pro problematic part about this whole case. But then I'm glad it was, it was, they were, they were able to come to that consensus. But then in general, I feel it's still going on whatever was happening then the separate but equal even though that thing was ruled unconstitutional i feel even in certain parts of like institutions and industries this um desegregation is still happening i definitely agree with that but i think you know i want to i want to ask you where where do you think you see uh most prominently that this desegregation still needs to happen more um, I'll say in schools, in schools especially. Um, uh, for my school, um, my school is um mostly um, it's I uh, probably I'll say eighty percent or eighty five percent white, and um, it's it's just how it's structured. Mm -hmm. I find myself um, with friends or making friends with people who are mostly uh, white in my school because of the higher classes I take. And I don't know if it's because of how the whole system is structured and how like, I don't know if, I don't know how to put this in words, but I, I just find myself with just those type of people. And then when we have like this kind of big events, like a prep rally, and then I'm like, oh, there are actually like other like black people in my school, like, wow, I didn't know, like, where where were they? Like I don't see them in my classes and all of that. And and when I when I go deeper into it, I find out like yeah, like at a certain part of the school or yeah, in like certain classes. And I don't know if it's because of maybe their academic level or just in general how the whole school system is structured and you went in which I'm referring to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like a lot of a lot of schools around here, especially you know, we're in, we're in Connecticut, which is you know considered to be one of the more progressive areas, and I think it, it's sad to see that a lot of the schools have uh, 
what really is still segregation where you have, you know, as you said, this, this whole concept of academic level where, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the, a lot of the higher levels are populated by the, you know, the white population. And it's not because they're smarter. It's not because they're better. It's because, you know, with the AP system, as we've said before, in other podcasts, the AP system where, you know, the more uh, establishment people have this, you know, this pedigree, the more the, the people that have been in Connecticut for generations and generations before that have this, you know, they have, unfortunately, money is a, is a, you know, statistically money is a factor in, you know, the tutors you can pay for and the, you know, college prep you can pay for and all that kind of stuff. And then on top of that, there definitely is some uh, inherent bias that exists just in general when it comes to, you know, counselors, I think, helping people pick classes that are supposedly right for them. And I think there's just, you know, you can walk into any high school, I think, and see that, first of all, there is a huge, uh, just based on population, a huge, weirdly uh, distributed number of people where, you know, the, the population of Connecticut doesn't represent what's at, you know, UConn, for example, or doesn't represent what's in a lot of the high schools because the high schools are kind of filtered via many different ways. And I think, you know, maybe it's, it's unconstitutional to have legal, you know, legal reasons for segregation, but there's monetary and societal and cultural and a bunch of other different reasons that segregation still exists. Yeah. And I think I with the oh, oh, you go, you go. Oh. And I think with the equal aspect of it, um, you know how some other schools. I I have this friend who goes to what's in is it Bristol? I'm trying to remember. But then yeah, um, one time they were talking to me about how they had to return um, like their Chromebook and all of that. I was like, oh, why do you have to return it? Like, don't you return it like at the end of like your senior year? Right. They're like, oh no, like your school doesn't have like those type of stuff in abundance to just like give to every student and make them keep till like they're about to graduate. I was like, oh wow, my school, but my school, New Winton High, does give it to us till we like graduate. And then they also have other resources for us, better resources as compared to that friend. And then if you also look at the demographics and like, the type of people in that school i'm like yeah like i still see this happening like why why is it that this school doesn't have like those type of stuff available to them readily available to them like what what is like the main reason and you can see it like we all know the answer to that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. kind of make a connection to what you were saying stephanie um I, I remember, I'm just going to bring in a personal um, anecdote. Um, I'm going to preface by saying that the high school that I went to was not diverse at all. Um, but when we were preparing to take the um, standardized tests, such as the SATs or ACTs, um, our principal brought our class in to have like a discussion about why we needed to perform well on the SATs. And he brought us into this like 
conversation about how um, each school has this thing, or they're a part of this like region that's called a derg. Um, and within that derg, essentially, it's it's based on the derg is based on not only socio things like socioeconomic status, but it's also based on um, performance on standardized tests and based on your your derg and based on your school's overall performance in standardized testing. Um, Apparently, that's how they determine what amount of resources they're going to give to schools. Um, so I definitely think that, and I remember hearing that, and I was like, that's that's ridiculous because if you have a school that doesn't have resources, and you have a school where a lot of kids do not have access to academic resources that they need, such as tutoring, we all know that you know people who have the money, they take the SATs like many, many times. Um, things like that, if like if students don't have access to those resources you can't expect them to perform as well as the the kids who can take it over and over and over again because they have the money to or the kids who you know have those private tutors to help them and so when you don't perform well because you don't have those resources then your school doesn't have that overall um you know sat score that's high and then they still don't get resources so it's it's very much it's very much stuck in this perpetual cycle and it's it's just it's just systemic you know it, it's systemic and it's it's unfortunate because there's no way to get out of it and it's also unfortunate because no one talks about it you know which which is i guess why we're here we're, we're supposed to be talking about these sorts of things um i just want to bring that connection in yeah and i wonder i wonder because uh, you know, say no one talks about it. And Stephanie, you said, you know, everyone knows why a lot of these, you know, why the resources go to some schools and don't go to others. And I think it's really sad because I think there definitely is an element, a large element of active racism in it. But I also think there's also a large element of people like Katie and I, for example, where I think at least I, I don't want to speak for Katie, but, you know, when I talk about the, when I talk about you know, these issues sometimes, I feel like I don't have the words because I don't, it's not my, it's not my personal experience. I, you know, am a privileged white guy. I, I don't really know these things, you know, personally in a way that I can, you know, a way that I can really talk about them like I know them. And I think the problem is that a lot of the people that want to make good change have that problem where they really don't, actually you know they don't really bother to you know they say i want to make the good i want to make change and i want to do things and and all this kind of stuff and they don't actually bother to a talk about the problem because sometimes they can feel like awkward about actually confronting the issue and what it is and the fact that you know there are schools that have you know a demographic that isn't you know like katie's school or my school which were very very white and the schools that have more people of color just openly, it's, you know, they, you can, as you said, you can see, they just don't get the same resources. And I think a lot of people, even without being, you know, actively racist, are end up being kind of, by being bystanders and by not confronting the problem, end up being passively racist, where they're just kind of saying, you know, this doesn't affect me, this isn't my problem, this isn't my issue. 
So therefore, it doesn't exist in my sphere. And I think that's the big problem here, where we have a bunch of people who could do something, who really could do something, but don't. And then it's a vicious cycle where it's, again, it's been 70 years since Brown v. Board, and we're still talking about it. Yeah, I'd also like to make clear that you know, we we as students, it's our job to like talk about it and to be aware of it. But in terms of making the actual change, it's it's people who are put in those educational leadership positions. It's those superintendents. It's those people who are elected to be on the board of education. Like those are the people who need to realize that it's happening, and those are the people who need to say, "Look, we see that this is happening. This needs to change." There, there needs to arguably be more more communication between the boards of education and the state legislature or the state laws so that changes can actually reflect um, what what needs to be done. Um, I don't I don't know what your what your take on it, Stephanie, is, but I'm I'm gonna stop talking because I felt like I've talked a lot. Um, and this is this is your day. Yeah, um, when you were, when Sam was talking about the resource, no, when you were talking about like the resources which are available to um, those type of, I think, communities, this case came in mind. It wasn't really a case, but it was this event that happened. It had to do with um, the, they moving the buses all the way to a different town and then, um, the other community said they wouldn't agree to they moving it because then the other like kids of color wouldn't be able to get to their schools because if they are trying to move that to the other um, community because that community the black community doesn't have enough money to like fund those type of stuff of course they will be stuck in like not trying to go to the better schools because the better schools were like in like where all the way in like the other part of the town and the other part of the town was where they were trying to move it to. I'm just, I'm trying to really remember like that event, it has a lot to do with this, but then yeah, you, you were right. And um, that's true because in my school, for example, you went to high, we have a lot of resources. I'm, I'm very happy. I, I do go to Newton high, but then I wish that was the same for other schools because I feel some people do have great potential, but then they are just limited to this amount of resources they can get. And that's what also limits them to like how far they can go. Yeah. And then once they once they get limited and their potential gets limited, then, you know, people only look at the results. People don't look at the potential and then they look at the results and then they say, oh, this school doesn't need resources because this school isn't doing very well. And I think... Mm -hmm. It's, it's really sad to look at the, you know, school statistics where, you know, it seems like Connecticut is obsessed with them or, you know, oh, we are the third, I think my school was the 13th best school in the, in the public school in the state. And they were really proud of that. And of course they, they would always say, we need to, you know, maintain our ranking. We need to be really good because the state gives us stuff when we're really good. And you see this hierarchy where you go to a good school and your school pumps out good results because that's what people look at, then you're going to stay at the top. And that, you know, is goes converse with the bottom, where if your school is stuck in a vicious cycle of not having the resources to teach people, 
and not having the resources to give people the ability to go to college and get an education and get good jobs because if you have an education, then you don't, you know, you don't rise up in the school rankings and then the people that go to your school just keep having to deal with a subpar education and subpar resources. And what do you guys think would be kind of a, I'm not asking for you to solve the problem because clearly problem needs a lot, a lot of people to solve it. But what do you think would be some ideas that would possibly, you know, maybe alleviate this vicious cycle, just keep going over and over and over again? See, the, the thing that's so difficult about it is that it's it's not just schools. You know, my 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 town has had all of these sorts of discussions about how we can become more aware and how we can welcome a more diverse community because our, our town is not diverse at all. Um, and within those conversations, there are there are conversations about the cost of living in our town and how expensive our taxes are. Um, you know, to give some context, my, my town just built a brand new high school um, that was very expensive. And so everyone's taxes went up. And so I don't want to say to live in the town, you have to be rich, but like, because my family's not, I'm probably at the lower end of the socioeconomic ladder, even though my family is, you know, okay, we're of the middle class. Um, but it's like, it's our community is just not accessible because of the cost of living, you know? So I think that it's, it's just so many, so many factors. It really needs to be change across the board, but to start with the schools, I guess it would be, I, I don't even know, like doing partnerships maybe with different schools in like different districts to sort of even the playing field. Like, I don't even know how it would work. Um, because it's just such a broad, broad, um, like, there's so many factors at play, is what I guess I'm trying to say. Yeah. Now I'd like to ask uh, Stephanie, because we've been talking a lot about high school, and it's kind of how, not, not just high school, but the, the grade school uh, kind of approach. But uh, you're a senior in high school, and, you know, Katie and I are both uh college students at UConn. And so, you know, we went through the college process two years ago and applying and getting in and being supported by our schools. And, you know, you're going through all that now. So what do you think the, you know, how, how is your college process going? And do you feel like, you know, there are, do you feel like there are some uh, impediments maybe? I don't want to say that. It, and any you think you feel like there are some segregated or maybe you know just along the lines of what we've been talking about do you feel like that comes into play when you're applying to college or even when you get to college uh and you'll have to deal with that do you feel like um yes actually i'm very overwhelmed with this whole college process it's because it's like i have no one to really help me um I had a counselor session with my counselor, like about the senior stuff, what we need to complete before um, next year. And then I feel we just talked about it, but she, like she, she wasn't really like kind of like providing any sort of help to me. 
that I needed. Like at this point, I'm trying to complete the FAFSA, and like I'm new to like it's it's not even about the process. I'm like new to this whole thing. Right. Like I, I, yeah, I'm new to this whole thing. I, I, I'm not from here. I, I don't even know. I didn't know what the FAFSA was until I think early this year, and all of that. So it's it's really difficult. But then, I would say it's it's kind of okay in a way because, um, with my school, I think they are doing a great job. But then also, I'm I feel like I'm left behind in a way because like with the schools I'm trying to get into um I'd have to really like prove myself a lot to know like yeah I'm going to get in. Like I know I, I feel like I have to like prove myself a lot. And also having to move from Newington High, which is like mostly um white school and then I don't know what school I'm going to really go to. Maybe Yukon, maybe some other school, maybe Dominic, I don't know. But then I feel like as I move, it's it's still going to be the same. Like I'm not able to really relate well with um, other people of with me especially. I'm not able to really relate well with other people of color because the other people of color are so. There's a difference between like the Black Americans and me as an African. Right. Like yes, like that. I was having a conversation with um. Michael, mm-hmm. my boyfriend, and then he he was asking me like, how do I see him? I was like, oh, I I see him. I I said I I see him as a like a black American, not like African. And he was like, why is that so? I was like, because he, there are some stuff he does that I can relate to. Like I I literally can relate to that. And um, as an African, like it's just different. I feel they also like see us in a see me in a different way so um with this whole college process i can i can't even really reach out to anybody only my mom and then this other lady helping me but then yeah well i uh i'm sorry to hear that you know that you feel alone in the in the college process because the college process is definitely even when you have a, a bunch of people helping you it's hard and it's unfair and not good for anybody until you get to college and, but uh that's it's really interesting that you, you brought up the idea of you know feeling feeling different from the, the black americans as opposed to being african because i think that's you know that's just kind of like i feel like when a when a european uh immigrant there were a bunch of there were a couple people in my high school that, that had just come from europe uh and they you know they were also white and they were treated you know as as something different because they were treated you know as oh they just came from i don't know uh germany or something they just came from and and they would be treated somewhat different but still basically the same so i think it's interesting how there's there's a little bit of a you know definitely you know they obviously have, you know, slightly different, uh, slightly different cultural background where, you know, a lot of them actually know grammar better because Europe also treats grammar better than the U.S. does. But, uh, I feel like that's, that's an interesting thing where it's like, that's kind of the, the side that is the immigrant where, 
-hmm. immigrants feel like they are, you know, kind of isolated from the rest. You know, my, my grandfather never felt really like he was like that the he was from Sicily and Sicily Sicily was never like not part of him. And he, you know, very much felt like, you know, he was a Sicilian first and then American. And yeah. I think that treatment where, you know, you, you never really can feel like you are American, even though or you never feel like you're American first. And, you know, we, we call ourselves a melting pot. But I think the, the, the melting pot mentality of everyone comes here and feels American and has the same ideals and has the same uh, opportunities and stuff isn't really true. And I think we that's another thing we need to kind of confront. Does that, I'm again rambling a little bit here. I'm sorry if that doesn't make any sense. No, I get I get what you're saying. Yeah, I think that there there are a lot of a lot of steps that just need to be taken, but mo most importantly, it's it's getting people who don't normally think about it to talk about it or to even think about it. You know, um, I think that that people, especially white people. You know, so I'm I'm gonna speak for myself. I'm gonna speak gonna speak for Sam here. You can tell me if I'm wrong, Sam. But I think that we need to pull people into conversations about this so that they realize it's happening. We we know that it exists, but we don't know the different extent to which it exists. We don't think about how these systems affect people who are not within, you know, our our little bubble. Um and I think that the the most important part is talking to as many people about it as we can to make sure that everyone knows that it's a problem everyone knows it exists and to get people out of their own personal little bubbles because learning about different people and different backgrounds is is what is how we can coexist in america we can't just say america is a melting pot and not do anything to help the very different um, you know, backgrounds and cultures and, you know, varying everything that people come from and, you know, their experience. Um, that's also kind of ranting, but adding on to what you said. Uh, <clears throat> oh, Katie, uh, I think something's happening with your mic again. It kind of sounds like there's like a... I don't know, Stephanie, can you hear it too? It's like, sounds like a hissing noise. Um, no, no, it's... I think it... Yeah, no. No, it's gone. All right. Hmm. Yeah, this is... This is a, I don't know what's going on. But, uh, but yeah, I, I definitely think that, uh, you know, the, the theme that's come up a bunch has been, you know, people have to be willing to have the conversations. And uh, I'm just I'm curious if you if you could have the if you could have a conversation that you think would would spark change and spark you know real equality and real equity in this country like who who would you obviously it doesn't have to be one person but like what group of people do you think you'd want to talk to and you know 
could be administrators, it could be, you know, a, a cultural group, it could be a racial group. But like, what, what group or individual do you think needs to be part of the conversation in order for actual change to happen? And then like, what would you say? Um, okay. Um, I think the group that I would, I would want to be in this conversation, um, I mean, we are in America, so I would say just basically the white population, because I feel they are going to, like, most of them are the ones who have, like, their privilege, so they could use their privilege to help their own privileged. Like, like that's that's just the, I think that would be the root of, of it all. Like, that's how it's going to start, because if they are standing for us and also using, like, what they have, like, the opportunities and, yeah, they have to help other people of color to get where they also want to get to, then, yeah, we would be able to get there. Because, for example, like, with immigrants like me, like, we come to the U.S. for, like, better life, better education, better work, just greener pastures. And then I feel at the start of, like, this whole journey of trying to just get better opportunities, it's, it's kind of bravery and hope because we don't know where we are going to, like, end up. But then we still have hope that yeah, mm-hmm. we are going to get there. And then for my mom, like for example, she she the amount of hard work she puts into it, the amount of hard work any other immigrant or the immigrant community puts in order to provide for like their children is what I admire. So like if they just have that little like help with the the privilege the population uses to help them it will be easier i feel it's going to be easier and then it's going to just try to start to eliminate um some stuff because some parents for example like my mom like they go to the length of working two to three hours just to provide the necessary things like their children need to succeed just to succeed in the united states and sometimes even with all that, they still can't get anywhere because of like the injustice and the unfairness we have sometimes in the United States. So I feel like the evidence of um, many immigrants' parents, they, the evidence of what they put in, like the extra work they put in to be able to make sure their children are in good standing when it comes to like the basic necessities for survival. Um, I've like I've I've it, it's I I commend that a lot and it shouldn't be undervalued. But then also to make that easier, yeah, we should include yeah, mostly the white population. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think the hard the hard work of, of the immigrant population is just incredibly admirable, and I think it you know. I feel like when you when you when you're little and you hear about America, whether you're you know living in America at the time or living outside of America, you know you hear the whole thing of you know the self-made man and the self-made woman and you know pushing yourself and if you work hard you can get you you can do anything. And we really need to make that that true. We need to make that like a an actual thing that can happen where you know with hard work you can do anything. And I think. Mm-hmm. You know the privileged the privileged population of the United States 
that is true. I think, you know, with, with enough hard work and enough privilege, you can do whatever you want. And yeah, so I think it's, it's, you know, really powerful that, you know, if you, if you give a little bit of that privilege to the unprivileged and not a little bit of it, an equal amount of that privilege, then no one will, no one will be unprivileged because we'll all be at the same level. Uh, and I think that's definitely more on the, the privileged people than the unprivileged to ask for it. I feel like the people that don't have it don't need to ask for it because it should be the responsibility of, you know, it's the whole idea of, uh, you know, uh, forgetting the term now, there's a, there's a phrase, the, uh, is that a rising tide raises all boats, something like that. But basically the idea that one person rises and brings everybody else up with them should be the America that is, is a good America. Because I feel like sometimes when their parents have to put in their hard work, it sometimes also leads to certain stuff that could be prevented, like in the immigrant child. Like, for example, if we know, like, most of the, a, number, a great number of immigrants come to, like, this country to completely start anew, like, regardless of whatever background they may be. Mm-hmm. And then many of them have given up on like their personal hopes and dreams. Like maybe your parent came here, they really wanted to go to school, but because they wanted to also make their kids succeed, they said, okay, I'll put this aside and then make sure my kid is able to get here and do this. So they just gave up on their personal hopes and dreams of like, of living the life that they want to be. And then my mom from existence, she has to like, she had to put aside her goal to finish school. And instead she rests like there. She put her purpose on providing for the best she could for my siblings and I. And then they do this in hopes that someday we, the children, can have the opportunity to have, um, to make our own hopes and dreams. But sometimes this could go in a negative way because like um, the immigrants' parents, like all these sacrifices they've made have like it causes problems which i believe could have been prevented if yes the privilege which i mentioned earlier helped because like many immigrant children grow up and then they are cautious of like the what's it called the enormous um sacrifices their parents have made and they just want to spend their, the rest of their lives the, 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 the sacrifices their parents have made and the sufferings that they've had to do and like they spending the rest of their lives and what's it called providing for them and they, the immigrant child just spends the rest of their life trying to make sure that these sufferings weren't in vain so sometimes it makes them also as uncomfortable to like discuss like mental health especially in an african home <laughs> mental health issues with the parents and then like when it arises and because like how can we do that when our parents gave up when our parents gave up all they wanted to do just to make us happy so like all these type of stuff can can be prevented if like yeah life is just made a little bit easier yeah that story uh, that story reminds me of again my the, the story of the parents that, you know, 
the immigrant parent taking kind of the role of you know preparing preparing the child's world for success and kind of giving up on their own personal success reminds me a lot of my grandparents generation and the them coming over and then you know my grandfather worked in a print shop and just you know my uh, one of my great uncles worked in a uh in a butchery and was in a freezer all day and they all just did it to make money and support their family and i think it's it's interesting how that that group is now the privileged white family that and you see statistics where they say this generation is going to be the first generation to not do as well as their parents success wise and i think it's it's sad because you see this dichotomy in the us where there is a group there is a generation of you know that it's the same age a generation of children who are being supported by their parents who have you know who had dreams but need to you know put everything they have into supporting their family and then you have these kids that are from that that are willing to work as hard as it as you know work as hard as they have to to succeed and to you know accomplish their dreams and then you have another part of the country another part of the the world where you know because because that generation in the middle accomplished their dreams and they're over the hill the 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 privilege of the next generation where they're kind of sitting comfortable and you know just like living off of the fruits of the the successful generations living uh you have a very privileged class of individuals who are predicted to not do as well as their parents and i think you know we shouldn't have either of those populations we shouldn't have a group that is working their asses off just to you know to accomplish a dream that should be easier to accomplish and then also a group of people that are not working at all and don't even really have to have a dream because they feel like they've already made it. And I think that, you know, not only, you know, maybe maybe and this is obviously an idealism and a hope, but we don't know really, you know. I can't I can't speak for the entire white privileged population, but I can say that maybe if you if we if we present it as a, in a selfish way to this to this population of you know maybe you'll get something done basically <laughs> by helping other people because really helping helping people is not a negative for anybody you know no one no one loses anything by helping other people and lending a hand and i think that that would solve two problems where you you know you raise people up but you also give the the privileged population that's just kind of sitting around uh it would give them something to do it would it would you know it would make this entire generation a successful one and an equal one and maybe maybe that is the the solution of equality and once you get once you get to that privileged step not getting complacent and reaching but reaching back and saying you know we are going to help but also we're going to accomplish our dreams because everyone deserves the right to accomplish their dreams 
and but no one no one should be uh sitting around with no dream because they feel like they're in a country that is you know that has already given them everything and they don't need to they don't need to milk anything else so <laughs> i know i've been rambling uh for a long time again but basically i, I think there might be a there, there might be a hope out there where the the white privileged population has an olive branch moment <laughs> but uh Yeah, so, I, yeah, if this happens, and I feel this is the whole population doesn't have to go through all this type of stuff. Mm-hmm. For me, example, I've not really experienced any really harsh, like, harsh um, treatments from any kind of other population. Like, I mean, they're mean, but they're not that mean to, like, make me cry. But then, yeah. I mean that's I not a very good that's not a very good uh, bar to set you know any kind of being mean isn't isn't good yeah that's true that's true that's true yeah because what I think I remember when I first came here the first question I was asked in school was um oh what did this kid say oh yeah he said <laughs> I don't even know how to say this. I was like, I was even, I was even shocked, surprised because I don't know, like, who told you this? Like, I, I'm, I'm even from Africa and I don't know. But then we're like, oh, like, how does it feel, like, finally, like, living off of trees? <laughs> and I was like, what? Like, I was even also, wait, where did you get this from? <laughs> Like who he said what? This? He said, "How does it?" Oh, he thought you were living in a tree in Africa. Yeah, <laughs> basically, like I live in the woods or forest, or I don't know. Probably like that's the image he had, and then he also thought like I had like um, tiger pets and <laughs> wow. all of that. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's crazy. That is crazy. Because I I was surprised. Like he was like. Oh, how does it feel like living off of trees? And um, do you guys have like um, tiger pets and like wild? What? I don't even have a dog in my house. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even have a dog in my house in Ghana. Like I'm so scared of dogs. <laughs> but then, yeah, I, I don't know. Like that was very. That's I think that's the meanest thing I've ever experienced so far over here. Yeah. Like the meanest thing somebody has said to me. Yeah, I think that that kind of that. Like that's just mind blowing to me, but that that just kind of illustrates even more the disconnect where like mm-hmm. the people that are that have quote unquote in, in, in what I was saying earlier that have, that have made it and are now kind of sitting in their own bubble where they don't really experience the rest of the world have absolutely no idea what the rest of the world is like, and they have no ambition to ever find out what the rest of the world is like because they have found their world and their world is is very small. And yeah, I think maybe the the expansion of the the small world and people will bring about I don't know more of a globalized world and a more equal world. Mm-hmm. And an understanding. Let's see if we all understand each other. Then these type of questions will probably not be asked. <laughs> 
yeah, understanding is understanding is very important. But uh, but yeah, so we've come to uh, we've come to about an hour uh, now. So does anybody does anybody uh, of the two of you? Yeah, anybody as long as, as if we have like ten people here. Uh, do either of you have anything else to say before we uh, before we wrap this up? All good on my end. All I have to say is, yeah, I just hope for a better um, world, I guess. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming on. It was an enlightening experience. We, we love having these conversations every week. So uh, I hope that you had fun because uh, we enjoyed yes, it. Yes, I enjoyed I enjoyed it. That's awesome. Uh, but yeah, so uh, that's it for us this week. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the podcast. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you.